0: Take your Bibles out and turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 5 Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 to 16 as we look this morning at the topic Christians seeking to impact their world I certainly hope this uh, passage will have special application uh, to students and teachers as we get a new school year underway tomorrow So I hope you'll find a special challenge in this for you. Uh, Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? Let's begin reading in verse uh, 13 and reading down through verse 16. Jesus said, You, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, Father we're so grateful for the ministry that you have called us to in the world We know that uh, when you saved us it was not your plan to take us immediately on to heaven But you've left us here for a purpose We're to be salt and light, we're to have a ministry uh, in this world We see in the Bible that election is for service You save us that we can go and tell others and make a difference in their lives. Father, we pray that you'd give us strength and courage to do just that. And God, we do want to pray for our students and our teachers uh, who are beginning a a new endeavor this week, a new year of school. Uh, We pray for them. We pray that you'd give them wisdom from above. We pray for Christians in the public environment Uh, Lord, that, uh, that they would always be ready to give an account for the hope that they have within them We pray for a good school year And God, any environment that we find ourselves in May we be that positive example and positive witness for you I pray for those this morning that are struggling and hurting You know their need You're the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Be that and more for them. We pray for any who do not know Christ that your Holy Spirit would do what only He can do. And that is to convict of sin and draw the person to Christ. We pray that this might be the day and the hour that someone surrenders their life to Jesus. In these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Folks, I think one of my favorite characters in all of the Word of God would have to be the young man in the Old Testament by the the name of Daniel. Now, we know what happened with Daniel. Daniel was carried away into captivity in Babylon uh, by Nebuchadnezzar. Now what makes the life of Daniel all the more remarkable for the courageous stand that he took is that scholars tell us that Daniel was perhaps only 15 or 16 years of age at the time that Nebuchadnezzar took him away as a captive. And yet we know that Daniel made that decision, the scripture says he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself and he remained a witness for the living God over the course of the 70 years that God's people were in captivity. Now that certainly tells us something about Daniel's character and his faith as a young man. And I think it speaks well of his parents too and of of the Jewish values and faith that they had successfully instilled in him. Well we know that students these days face incredible challenges. It's always been difficult for young people in any generation, but I think those of us who are older do need to acknowledge perhaps that youth today are confronted with things that we did not even have to deal with, at least not on the same level. And just look at the world today. Every week it seems like something's coming out in the news, something incredible and unbelievable and shocking that is taking place in society. I told Connie the other day, it's like a hand is up in the sky pouring out a glass with a dark cloud of evil and deception on everything and it's like people are buying into it. I think you've got to acknowledge that we are engaged in spiritual warfare in our culture. I think of the school board in California that's recently passed a policy that if a student isn't really sure what sex he or she is, they can use the bathroom and the locker room of the opposite sex. Now folks, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what a 17-year-old boy is probably going to do. You know, hey teacher, I think today I might be a girl and I need to use the girl's shower and locker room after a class or PE. I mean, just crazy stuff. And it makes me wonder where parents are in all of this. Where's the outcry? And then this week, some teens decide that they want to kill somebody that day. One of the the perpetrators had just been in court earlier that day dealing with issues related to his probation. And then later that day, the three of them jump in a car and ride around and end up gunning down and murdering a jogger from Australia. Just incredible. Incredible. It makes you wonder what kind of world are we becoming. And of course we know from recently coming through a study of the book of Revelation that as time progresses it's not going to get any better. In fact it's going to get worse before Jesus comes back. Now folks there's a powerful tension in the New Testament that Christians are going to have to be satisfied to live with. On the one hand we know that this world is not our home And we're to be laying up our treasures in heaven And yet at the same time we're told in the scripture that we are to be working towards the world being a better place Now Christians of previous generations perhaps did a more thorough job here but still even currently great contributions are being made by believers. I think of contributions in politics, in art, science, finance, education and medicine. In all of those fields and even more of that Christians are making wonderful contributions. The church has been at the forefront of things like orphanages being established or homes to care for the elderly. Some aspects of the current social work system can be traced back to Christians who were concerned about the less fortunate in society. We know that Christians helped bring an end to slavery. Christians helped in prison reforms to make prisons more humane. There have been great contributions in literature that believers have made. Christians have worked for the freedoms and the education of women. Christians were on the front line in the advancement of civil rights. The Braille system for the blind was uh, developed, invented and developed by a dedicated believer, Lewis Braille. I think of organizations like the Salvation Army, Habitat for Humanity, the Red Cross, World Vision, Samaritan's Purse, many other organizations, just to name a few, that all have Christian roots. On a worldwide scale, the church is the largest single provider of health care and education. Many of the great politicians and statesmen of the past entered the political arena because they believed God had called them to serve in that arena. 81% of all evangelical Christians serve every week in some aspect of volunteer work whereas only 26% of the rest of the population do so. Now on and on we could go like the founding of some of America's great institutions of higher learning and some of America's great hospitals today. Even one atheist by the name of Matthew Paris has written recently that what the continent of Africa needs, he says Africa needs God. He said, now that doesn't change my belief system or my worldview. He said, but however, after observing the work that evangelical Christians have done on the continent of Africa, he said, I've become more convinced than ever before that what Africa needs more than more government programs, he said, Africa needs evangelical Christians coming in and making a difference. Now folks, all that brings us down to these verses that are the conclusion to the Beatitudes. If we live out the Beatitudes, we will no doubt be salt and light on our culture. Now the Beatitudes, those first verses in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for example, all of those Beatitudes describe What the believer is to be on the inside. The Beatitudes describe what our nature and character is to be. You see when God gives his people an assignment the first thing he addresses is the heart. The character of a man, only after the character of a man is what it should be, can the work of a man be what God calls the work of a man to be. And so he uh, first addresses the character of the person. But then we get down to verse 13 and following, and he describes what our ministry will be in the world. And if we were to summarize these four verses by just one word, I think it would have to be the word influence. You see, if we're poor in spirit, if we're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, if we're peacemakers, if we're persecuted for righteousness' sake, then we're certainly going to be people of influence. Christ is speaking of the influence, the impact that you and I are to have on our surroundings. Wherever God plants us, we are to make a difference in that arena. It reminds me of what Paul said in the book of Romans, that, that well-known passage in Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul says, make your life, surrender your life as a living sacrifice. In verse 2 there, he says, and be not conformed to this world. Philip's translation says, Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. Now, I imagine these words here in Matthew 5 were quite a shock to the disciples. After all, they were not the power brokers of their day. For the most part, they were simple, everyday men, they were fishermen. Or other common trades of the day. But we see here and we learn what Christ wants to do through his church. And I want you to notice it's not specific. He didn't say here, in other words, be salt or be light in the field of medicine. Or be salt and light in the field of education. I think it's left broad intentionally and the point being wherever you serve. Whatever you find yourself doing, you're to be the salt of the earth and light of the world. Now the first thing I want you to notice with me is that Christians are to stem the tide of corruption in the world. He says here, you, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now I've read that one single grain of salt has 2,000 times the power related to its size Now that's influence And Jesus as he looked at his disciples this day uh, He said you, you alone are the salt of the earth You see I read it that way on purpose Because in the Greek text it's emphatic He's saying you and you alone are the salt of the earth And you and you alone are the light of the world The implication is that's your role, that's my role That's our responsibility in the world If we don't live up to it, ladies and gentlemen, nobody else is going to I mean, think of the ethical and moral challenges to the church here of being the salt of the earth. If you take the salt out of society, who else is going to do what we're supposed to be doing? It's doubtful that anybody else is going to pick up that role. And so what a huge responsibility Jesus is giving to us. We know that salt was one of the most precious commodities of the day. In fact, the ancient Greeks referred to it as being a theon, divine. Romans held that the sun and the salt were the two most valuable things in existence. Roman soldiers were sometimes paid in salt, and that's where the saying came from he's worth his salt or he's not worth his salt. That's where it originated. Our word salary can be traced back to the word salt. Now think with me a moment what salt does. We know it does a number of things. First of all, salt adds flavor. Folks, where would our food be today without a little bit of salt on it, right? Now, if you're on high blood pressure medication, you may just want to forget what I talk about next, okay? Just kind of deafen your ears to it. But I tell you what, there's nothing like a good old baked potato. You know, you put the butter and sour cream in and you load it down with salt. You get a bucket of popcorn at the theater and boy, don't you love those butter dispensers. You all kind of get so aggravated at me. She said, it's buttery enough and salty enough but I'll run it under that uh, butter and put salt on it and I have to end up eating about the first quarter of it before she'll touch it. (laughs) But boy, salt just adds so much to our food, doesn't it? Just makes it taste better. As a believer, you and I are to bring a little zing, a little zest to an otherwise tasteless world. Now, somewhere along the line, we got the impression that being a Christian meant you can't have any fun. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Folks, if we live out the fruit of the Spirit, things like love, joy, peace, kindness patience, long-suffering, gentleness, self-control. We're bound to add a little bit of zest, a little bit of life to whatever group we happen to be a part of. I mean, what a shame if we're a member of a club or athletic team or whatever and people see us coming and they're like, Oh, here comes so-and-so and and it's a bad thing. You know what? We ought to... We ought to be people of love and joy and peace and we ought to make a positive difference wherever we find ourselves. Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, you know what, I might have entertained a call into the ministry if the clergy I knew uh, hadn't have acted more like undertakers. We ought to add a little bit of flavor. We know also uh, salt increases thirst. The world ought to look at our walk with Jesus and say, you know what, I want that kind of peace. Has anybody ever said that of you? Maybe in the office uh, environment. They say, you know, I've noticed something about you that all the trials and tribulations we face around here, the trials and tribulations different people encounter in their lives, you handle things differently, you handle things better than other people around here seem to. What's your secret? How do you do it? I want what you've got. Has anybody ever said that of you? Well, we know also that salt in small doses is good for the land. In fact, in ancient times, salt was used as a fertilizer. Now, you put too much of it on the land and you'll just kill everything. You'll you'll render the land worthless. But even today, let's say your tomato plants, let's say your tomatoes begin rotting on the bottom. The the local extension agent will tell you to dissolve a tablespoonful of Epsom salt in a gallon of water and pour it around the base of your tomato plant. Your tomatoes will be healthier and they'll stop rotting on the bottom. And so in ancient times, salt was, was good for the land in the right amount in a small dose. But the biggest role that salt had in ancient times was as a preservative. Commentators are in agreement that that's probably the chief meaning that Jesus intends here. You see, back then they would rub salt into meat and fish. Again, Jesus' disciples, many of them were fishermen. And so when they caught their fish on the Sea of Galilee, one one of the things they would have to do is pack uh, pack their fish in salt and travel down to Jerusalem to sell it in the fish market there. And if they didn't pack it in salt in a warm Mediterranean humid climate, time they got down to the fish market there, their fish... Would be spoiled Well folks that's a picture of the world in us The world is rotting The world is decaying As Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 It's going from bad to worse And so the world desperately needs the influence and actions of believers We're to prevent decay We're to permeate society We're to have a prophetic voice That's certainly one reason Christians have to take an active role on earth towards preserving society. The world is bad enough as it is. Think of where the world would be today without the church, the positive influence of the church. In his autobiography, Johnny Cash tells the story of his older brother, Jack. Jack was 14 years old when he died. Jack had a job of cutting down oak trees and turning them into fence posts. And the money he earned helped to support uh, the Cash family that was in, in poverty. They were cotton uh, farmers in Arkansas. Now a terrible accident happened one day and, and Jack was severely cut by saw, and it resulted in his death a few days later. Now, sometime before his death, Jack had announced to his family and the community that God had called him to be a preacher. And even as a 14-year-old boy, uh, everybody saw that nobody was surprised because they had witnessed Jack's faith and his character. And so again, his announcement didn't really come as a surprise to anybody. Well, Johnny Cash said that right up to the very time that he was writing his autobiography that was published in 1997, he said, Jack, though dead, has continued to influence me. He said as kids he tried to turn me from the way of death to the way of life to steer me toward the light and since he died his words and his example have been like signposts for me. Johnny went on to say the most important question in many of the conundrums and crises of my life has been which would be Jack's way? Which direction would he have taken? I haven't always gone that way, of course, but at least I've known where it was. Folks, until the time that God takes us out of here, we are to be salt. But for salt to work, it's got to be rubbed in. It's got to get out of the salt shaker. As Craig Blomberg states, in light of the countercultural demands and the Beatitudes, one might think that Jesus was calling upon his followers to separate from society. Here, Jesus makes it clear that just the opposite is the case. Christians are to permeate society as agents of redemption. You know, we've had Christians in the past that say that believers don't need to be involved in politics or Christians don't need to be on school boards now think of the nonsense of that what are we just supposed to abrogate our role over to the unbelievers Jesus said, anywhere you go, everywhere you go in society, at all levels, wherever God has called you to work and play and serve, in all levels of your life, you and I are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But you know, there's a huge temptation that he mentions here, a huge danger. And the the danger is that salt loses its saltiness. Jesus said here in the second part of verse 13, But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. There's the danger of salt losing its saltiness. Now keep in mind, Jesus isn't trying to give a chemistry lesson here if you're a chemist you know that pure sodium chloride does not lose its distinctiveness it is a stable compound but what you need to understand is the salt of Jesus day would lose its saltiness They gathered it from the region around the Dead Sea. And oftentimes, what looked like salt was not pure sodium chloride. There would be other minerals mixed in with it that would contaminate it, or the sodium chloride would be leached out altogether by rain, and somebody would take the salt and try to use it, and it would be useless. Good for nothing. And all they would have to do with it then was just take it out and throw it on their walking paths. It would become a, a part of the walking path. And Jesus is saying, if you're not careful as believers, that can happen to you and me in our lives. You and I can allow things to corrupt us. Temptations. sin. If sin begins to reign in the life of a believer, what happens? We know that while that believer doesn't lose his salvation, if he was truly born again, nonetheless, he'll lose his testimony. I mean, think of all the Christians in the public arena in the past decades that have done stupid things in their lives that messed up their ministry or ruined their testimony and now today nobody really respects their their public image or their public testimony because they allowed their saltiness to become unsalty by things coming in and tainting their witness. I think of Samson in the Old Testament. I mean there's few men, you've got to admit, there's few men in the Old Testament that had quite the potential that Samson did. I mean just think of his influence and impact and the ministry that Samson could have had. I mean Samson ended up still doing great things for God but, but his, his life ended really in tragedy. Think of the difference that Samson could have made. If he would to live his life as the salt of the earth and understood that a believer has to go the extra mile to guard his testimony and guard his walk. It happens today. And so the challenge that Jesus is giving to believers here, don't let that happen. You need to examine your heart. And if there's sin creeping into your life or temptations that you struggle with that maybe you're particularly vulnerable to, you need to lay those things before God and say, God, I need help in this area. Would you give me strength? Would you give me uh, protection from this area? Would you give me that special unction in my life that I would not succumb to this Guard your walk Incidentally the word tasteless here can also mean foolish That's what it literally means The disciple who allows himself to become tainted loses his effectiveness and that is a very foolish thing to do. In fact, D.A. Carson, uh, one of the key New Testament scholars in the world today says, Disciples who lose their savor are in fact making fools out of themselves. And so what do we consistently have to do? Stay untainted by the world. John writes in 1 John 2, Love not the world, neither the things of the world. The world is passing away, and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. We've got to stay untainted by the world. So that we can have that prophetic voice and stem the tide of corruption in society. Second thing I want you to notice with me here. Christians are to share the truth of Christ in the world. Beginning in verse 14, Jesus said, You and you alone are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you live out the Beatitudes, you will shine in the darkness. You'll bring light to the world. Now, folks, just like the world is decaying, we know also that the world is dying in darkness. Christians are to be light reflecting Christ who is... The light. And so we are to be a little light that is reflecting the one who is the light. You know, it's really kind of ironic in a sense that the very ones persecuted by the world are the world's only hope. I want you to think of our impact here. What happens when you walk in a dark room and you flick on a light switch and the light comes on? What happens? The darkness flees. The darkness disappears. Now that's impact. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 about you and me. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is talking about Christians being light. But here again, there's a temptation. There's a danger. Jesus went on to say, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under the peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, as the danger with salt was contamination or corruption... The danger with light is concealment. Back then, cities were set on a hill. They were done that way so that for miles around at at night, you could see the cities up there. It helped to provide navigation. Also, the fact that they would put them up on a hill with walls around them, it was a defensive thing. But, but it helped with navigation. Mac, I heard Mac Brunson uh, somewhat recently, pastor of First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, talking about a trip he had recently taken to uh, Galilee. And he said at night he purposely looked over the landscape of Galilee. And he said, dotted all over the landscape were these little towns or villages with their lights on at night. And he said, it looked like little diamonds twinkling. In the darkness. That's how we're to be. It would be impossible to hide those cities. Likewise, it'd be a foolish thing to light a little lamp in a home back then and then take a basket and put the basket over the light. That would defeat the purpose for which you had lit the lamp in the first place. Now folks, tragically some Christians do that with their life. Jesus has brought light to your soul, but you conceal the light. That ought to be an unthinkable thing that we do. And we need to realize that a concealed disciple or a secret disciple is of no more use to God in this world than one who has lost his distinctiveness pictured in the Beatitudes. Now, I know it's not quite the same thing, but I want you to think about it. We'll get so aggravated or disappointed when we hear of a Christian known publicly doing something stupid to hurt their testimony, but then we'll refuse to go out and tell others about Jesus. That's different. One's more of an active, one's more of a passive sin, but the result is the same. The world ends up not seeing Jesus. How tragic. And so while corruption hurts the cause of Christ, so does concealment. That's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, said that the Christian community who conceals its faith in Jesus and never shares its faith has ceased to follow Jesus as Lord. So what's the solution? Let your light shine. You say, oh, but I can't. I'm not one of those that can do that. Listen, if nothing else, you can share your testimony. Some Christians say, Pastor, I can't sit down with the Scripture and and walk somebody through all the verses leading to salvation. You can sit down and share with others what Jesus has done for you. Remember the Gerasene demoniac? He wanted to follow Jesus and Jesus said, No, you go back to your people in your town and tell them the wonderful things that God has done for you. You've got a testimony you can share. Everybody can do Anybody who's saved, anybody who knows what it's like to be born again and saved and and you have peace with God now, anybody can share what Jesus did in your life and the difference he's made. But now I want you to notice the caveat here. As we do that and as we live out the Christian life, He said, let others see your good works, and the Greek word is kalos, meaning beautiful, the beautiful works. May they see the beautiful works of your life and give glory to you. No, give glory to God. In other words, we don't do what we do to call attention to ourselves, but to God. And giving glory to God here, it's the word from which we get our word, doxology. In other words, as you live out your Christian life of being salt and light, others see your life and they give praise to God. Because they see what God's done in your life. Folks, this is our role as believers a twofold role to be salt and light. This is our calling. Now, back to Daniel a minute. That's exactly what Daniel did as a 15, 16 year old boy. He purposed in his heart that he was not going to defile himself. He lived that pure life, he lived as salt of the earth. And then he gave God's wisdom. To the kings To Nebuchadnezzar and all the rulers that followed him He he would shine the light He was salt And he was light 15, 16 years old If a 15 or 16 year old boy can count on God to give him strength to do that Don't you think we as adults can count on God to do that in our lives? Anything God commands you or me to do Anything God commands He supplies the strength to do it He does And so when we pray, asking God to give us wisdom and strength and purity to be salt and light in our world and live a life of Christian impact, don't you think that is a prayer that God is pleased to honor and to answer? Because that is a prayer that is according to the will of God as stated in the Word of God. Wherever you find yourself this week in the school classroom as a teacher or student or in the workplace or in the neighborhood in the homeowners association in the marketplace in church Wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, you are to be salt and light. See, ladies and gentlemen, we're not to click on and off the switch according to the environment that we're in and be a testimony in this environment, not in this environment. We don't click on and off our life that way. We are to serve God in all arenas out of who we are, out of what He's done in our lives. Are you doing that? Pray this morning, God, give me strength to do that. Help me to see my mission field. And that I am to be chiefly among all other things, I'm to be an ambassador for Christ. Because you see, that's God's call upon your life. Whatever career you're in, whatever you do, your chief calling in your life is to be an ambassador for Christ. That's why God has left you here. Otherwise, why wouldn't He just take us on to glory the minute we get saved? I mean, wouldn't that be a natural thing to do? He leaves us here because He's got a ministry for us to do. Pray that you would fulfill that ministry. Maybe this morning you would acknowledge that there are some things beginning to come into your heart, maybe dirty your heart a little bit. That God needs to arrest those things right now in your life before you lose your testimony. Altar's going to be open. Or maybe to open your mouth and share the good news of Jesus Christ is one of the most fearful and intimidating things that you have ever thought about doing. And you need to say, God, give me strength today to do what you've called disciples to do in your word. Trust God to do it. Trust Him to do what He says He'll do.